Uh, we are in Advent. It's our third week. Um, if you don't know this, our theme for 2020 during Advent um, is to us, a son is given. That's going to come to its culmination on Christmas Eve, but we're kind of trying to unpack what it is this son is like. And so far, we've looked at Wonderful Counselor. We've looked at Prince of Peace, this, this, this steward of Shalom last week, and now today, this mighty God. And I can think of no other correlation in those, uh, those four titles, those four names of Jesus, of the coming Messiah, to bring us great joy than the fact that our God is mighty. He's strong. Um, if you somehow don't believe in a mighty and strong God, if your circumstances are whispering you to doubt that God is mighty and strong, your joy will not just diminish, it will disintegrate altogether. The strong might of our God is what brings us uh, true joy. Um, I want to ask you, like, what do you think of when you think of strength and might do you think of a superhero like i noticed that james and river were wearing their um like star wars or spider-man jackets when they came in today do you think of a superhero do you think of 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 somebody that's like ripped yes aaron says yes so he must think of himself then um do you think of someone that's ripped do you think of someone that's built that's powerful that has money that has position Um, i typically think of someone who has endurance Someone who perseveres. What do you think of when you think of strength? And then the second question I have in that is, does that correlate or does that match up with how God reveals himself as the mighty God of all things? So I don't know what you've been doing um, for family discipleship um, throughout the weeks. We're doing family discipleship on Sundays with Advent, but throughout the weeks we don't have our normal daily devotionals. So what we've been doing is just kind of unpacking these four things with just questions that I'm throwing out of mighty God, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, as we're leading up to whatever given week. And so this week, I sat down with my two youngest, who I have breakfast with on a regular basis, and I said, so we talked about wonderful counselor, we talked about prince of peace, what about mighty God? What is it? How is it that you see God's strength on a regular basis? How is it that God demonstrates his might to you, and my two youngest I mean, are beautiful and dialed in, and they just said, you know what? One of them usually goes this route. One of them goes by giving us this family. By giving us this, this is the, the power of God is that he gave us this family. The other one goes usually in a different direction, which is, oh, man, if you look at creation, you can see the strength of God. If you don't know where to start this week with family discipleship, this is a great place to start. How is it that you see, how is it that you see God demonstrating his power on a regular basis. Do it over breakfast, do it over dinner, wherever it is, it's a great place for you to start. And then I'll give you two additional questions for us today. How does God demonstrate his might? I guess it's really just the same one. And then how, what is it, what kind of people does a mighty God make? So how does he demonstrate his might? And then what kind of people does a mighty God make? It's really the last one that we're going to spend most of our time on. So very quickly, how does God demonstrate his strength? And very succinctly, let me just put this before you for how it is that God demonstrates his power, his strength. It's basically this. God demonstrates his power by laying it down to benefit those who are weak. God demonstrates his power by laying it down to, to benefit the weak. We're the weak, by the way. 
And if we don't see that we're the weak, what we'll find in Mary's song in the end of this uh, is that we will be pushed out. We'll be cast out if we think that we are not anyone besides the weak. No, we see this over again in Scripture. God's might is shown through the meek. You remember, if you don't know this, like great passage, great point of comfort, especially through the holidays, especially through your spiritual life, is 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, where Paul is pleading. He pleads with the Lord three times for the thorn in his flesh to be removed. And Jesus answers him by saying, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is made perfect in weakness. It is demonstrated most when things are fully awry. We don't normally think that, though. We usually think power is associated with position and, and, and politics and military might and the things that are obviously big and strong and scary. That's what we usually associate power with, but God is the exact opposite. He demonstrates his power through meekness and where things are weak. So the greatest display of God's strength, right, was through sending his son Jesus with his death and his resurrection. It wasn't in feeding 5,000. That's where they wanted to crown him king. It wasn't in walking on water when he said, peace, guys, peace, be still. It wasn't in those places that he demonstrated his greatest strength. Surely it was his strength, but not his greatest. No, was it not his greatest strength demonstrated when his son Jesus came to be born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and then went to death on a cross, became obedient, obedient even to death on a cross as a servant. That's where God's power is made most evident when he would go to the grave and die, only to rise again, truly demonstrating power and proving exactly who he was. That's how he demonstrates his might throughout all of Scripture. But also, I wonder, and this is that second question, what kind of people does that kind of might make? And to demonstrate that, I want for us to read through uh, Luke 1. And to do that today, we're going to do a little bit differently. I'm going to invite three friends to come up, and the first one I'm going to invite to come up is Greta. Greta's going to read for us Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And so the first thing that we can see, what what kind of people does a mighty God make is a humble people. It is a humble people. So just think about this as she's reading Luke 1, 26 through 38. Um, This is what it makes. It makes a humble people. Go ahead. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angels answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, 
and this is the sixth month with her who, will be, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thank you, Greta. Appreciate you, girl. Um, so if you caught that, like, um, the angel of the Lord appears to Mary. Um, and if you don't know this, the reason why I have Greta up here, and then I'm going to have my own daughter Reese up here, and then I'm going to have Stella up here, um, is because it's a great demonstration of the age of Mary. Um, that can be somewhat jarring for many of us, but Mary was somewhere in the ages between 12 and 14 when all this is going down. So, so like teenage or preteen girls, um, if you think that whatever your parents are expecting of you is too much, <laughs> let us come back to the scriptures and let us realize that the God of the universe did not expect that bearing his own son was too much for her. If you think your responsibilities are too much for you or, or crushing for you, rest assured God will sustain you. If he's called you to it, he will see you through it. That feels like that was posted online somewhere that I stole and I didn't know it, but probably happened. But nonetheless, that's the truth, right? You can hear the terror in Mary's voice. How can this be? I'm a virgin. I'm not known, nor, I don't, nor do I know those things. How can this be? I don't know about you, uh, but I do have a question, right? What do you do when God doesn't live up to your expectations? What do you do when he doesn't fall in line with what you think he should do? You ever been young and married? Or young and engaged, I should say? Young and engaged, um, like every time that I meet with young and engaged uh, couples, those are my favorite because uh, that's why they call me the dream killer. Uh, as I get brought into those situations, and all the naivete and all the, the idealistic visions of what it's going to be and how it's going to be this and how it's going to, we're going to do that, and I'm going to go over here, and we're going to make this much money, we're going to have this many kids, and we're going to live in this house, and this is what it's going to look like, and I go, all right, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself, because that is probably not going to happen in so many different places, and I would imagine that, that Joseph and Mary felt a little bit like that too. They were betrothed to be married. This is a covenant agreement between the groom and the bride's father. At this point, a bride price would have been negotiated and paid at this time. And there was a 12-month preparation period, usually for the groom to go build their house and come back and get their bride and consummate their marriage some many months later. We're in that period of preparation between betrothal and marriage that all of this goes down. There is already commitment there. The bride price has been negotiated and paid, and now they're committed to each other in a very covenantal, uh, sacramental way. And that's when God chooses to intervene into the story. Not before commitment, in the midst of it. So what happens when God doesn't live up to your expectations? What, happen, what happens when he's inconvenient for your plans? If you want to know a God who is inconvenient for your plans, get married, start having children. Every young couple comes to this point where they're naive, they're hopeful, their expectations are sky high. They're praying about their future, their kids, profession, place to live. And what was not talked about between Mary and Joseph during their premarital counseling sessions was what was happening right now. That God was intervening in their lives through the proclamation that she would become uh, great with child. 
impregnated by the Holy Spirit through a miraculous conception. That was not in their plan. And all of a sudden, in an instant, in an evening, their dreams for whatever they thought they were setting up in their lives were completely dashed. Their dreams were completely gone. Um, And here's what happens as a result, right? Doubt about their character immediately ensues. There are questions swirling around the character or the kind of girl that Mary truly is. There's questions about the kind of guy that Joseph truly is. Did they they somehow come together before they were supposed to? And Mary's now going to Joseph going, no, 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 no. I've been faithful to you. I've been faithful to our God. And, of course, we know that Joseph wanted to divorce her quietly He was out. He was like, okay, this is a little bit too much for me. I'm out. It is not until God's intervention in his life through an angel that he stays. If you could put yourself in this situation as the father of Mary or as Mary herself, as Joseph himself, this thing will truly come to life. Was Mary unfaithful? Can Joseph stick it through? And what about the God who's orchestrating all this inconvenient stuff? Where is his strength found? It's very subtle, but it's there. If you look with me in verse 31, 32, 33, and 35, what do you find? If you can see the strength of God, follow me here. I'm just going to read those verses. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to, his, uh, give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Go down to 35. And the angel answered her, the Lord, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow shadow you. Therefore, the, ch- the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Do you see the mighty strength of God? It is only he who can speak so directly and say, these ten times, this impossible thing will happen. Take it to the bank. It's going to happen. It will happen. He will be called this. You will be uh, with child by the Holy Spirit. The strength of God is found in the 100% assurance of his word. That's where his strength is found, especially in this particular story. How strong is God? When he speaks, it's 100% accurate. It's going to happen 100% of the time. That is strength of character. We talked about this in, um, in uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Like your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything other than that is of evil, and the reason why that is is because God is faithful to his word 100% of the time. His yes is yes, and his no is no. I want you to think about how this would affect uh, Mary and Joseph. Because we want to believe in a God that will certainly be certain in our journey with him. But the problem is, in that certainty, there's a catch, right? And that catch with a certain God is that means that there's going to be loss. There's going to be some grief along the way. For Mary and Joseph, if you think about this specifically for, for Mary, a young, young preteen or teenager socially, could you imagine what this would have done to her as a young teenage uh, mother-to-be? She would have been called names. She would have been pushed out of circles. She would have um, been ridiculed 
And, and anybody that would have believed her would have certainly been ridiculed because after all, she's now going around saying, no, no, this wasn't me and Joseph. This is me and God. If you can imagine that in this day and age, that's what's going on, right? And so how does Mary respond to these impossible expectations, these, these complicated, uh, this complicated ask from our God, right? She says this in verse 38. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She will do whatever the Lord asks, no matter the cost, and she wants it to be evident when she says, behold, look, I am the servant of the Lord. If you want to do these things to me, these inconvenient and impossible things to me, I am yours. So I want to ask you, how about you? How about you? When God's unexpected plan is thrust upon you, you didn't ask for it. This isn't part of Mary's prayers, by the way. Like Mary and Joseph are thinking, let's have an impact in the world, but they never expected this kind of impact. And their premarital counseling or whatever it may have been. How about you? What happens to you when God's inconvenient or unexpected plan is thrust upon you? When you say, that's not for me, I'm not mature enough for that in my spiritual walk. Or will we respond to the mighty word of God in humility? Because again, God's might makes a people that are humble. A people that submit to him. That follow him. So can I just speak to something um, in the life of our church and in the life of, of the church? Um, it's become popular in the last years, several years, maybe decades, to somehow associate doubt with a prayer that says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. It is. It has come to, like, like that's where we've come to, is like it's somehow uh, an associated uh, uh, reality that if you say, Lord, not my will, your be done, yours be done, that's somehow associated with a lack of faith and of doubt. But I just want to like implore us to pray prayers more like that. I want to implore us to pray more prayers that say, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, just like Jesus in the garden. Lord, if there's any other way, I'll do that way. But if there's not, I'll do what you have to say. Because it's not, that is not a prayer of doubt. That is not a prayer of, of, of no faith. Or of not believing in God. Instead, it is a, an unbelievably deep faith that says, you know what? If you don't want this, Lord, I don't either. If you don't want to heal me, if you don't want to do this, if you don't want to direct my steps to this place, then, Lord, I don't want it either. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. If you cannot pray this kind of prayer, you will only accept half of God's story for us. Because if if, if Mary and Elizabeth in this story only accept the things that are comfortable for them, they, they probably don't rejoice in, in the birth. Maybe Elizabeth does, but probably Mary doesn't. Doesn't rejoice in the birth announcement of their son Jesus. And they're certainly not going to rejoice with how their son's lives end. You see, because this is great excitement in Luke 1. That all of a sudden a barren woman is now pregnant with child. And all of a sudden a very young woman is pregnant with the Messiah. Those are very exciting things that which we rejoice in. But that joy will not stay if we cannot submit to the sovereign and good will of God as John the Baptist eventually gets beheaded. 
And Jesus eventually goes to the cross. That joy cannot be sustained if we cannot submit to a mighty God in humility that just say, Lord, I have so much faith in you that if what I'm asking for isn't what you want, I don't want it either. It's deeper faith to ask those kinds of things and to pray those kinds of prayers because of this. In all things, whether we get what we want or whether we don't get what we want, in all things, the mighty hand of God doesn't mean that all things work out for our mental peace. No, the mighty hand of God means that all things work out for the Messiah's purpose. And if we can get our, 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 our spiritual arms around the might and the strength and the goodness of God, then we can pray prayers like, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. We can, we can have postures like Mary and now Elizabeth where we say, behold, I am your servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The first thing that we see that God's might makes is a humble people. The second thing that we see that God's might makes is a believing people. And to reiterate this, let's keep reading Mary's story. And let's do so with my daughter Reese who's going to come up. Luke 1, 39 through 45. Thank you. Mary visits Elizabeth. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold... When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that, were, that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Appreciate you. Yeah, so Mary now goes and hears this impossible news, this inconvenient news, that there's nothing impossible with our God, that his, his strength is being displayed in this weakness, in this, in this truly unexpected plan with Mary and also with Elizabeth. Let's not forget her role in this story. Right now, Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. And I've always asked, like, why did she go do that? I think there's a couple of different reasons. Number one, practically, um, I think Mary is really smart. And if there's ever any proof that it cannot be Joseph's child, you might as well get out of town. And so she leaves, it says in verse 58, for three months to go be with Elizabeth. So it cannot be Joseph's child. She goes practically for the reason of getting out of town and away from Joseph and to go be with her aunt. But she also goes, I think, because she is absolutely curious. Because the angel didn't just declare to her that she was now pregnant. The angel also declared to her that her aunt that she'd been praying for for years all of a sudden is pregnant. That she was barren and now she is with child. And so she travels what many people think is 70 miles while newly pregnant with whatever morning sickness and inconveniences that brings. And goes to her aunt's house and stays there for three months. And when she gets there, what happens? Except for John the Baptist, who's in the womb, can't hold it in, and declares that he's the Messiah even when he's in the womb. Gotta love some John the Baptist. Like he's still declaring it even before he's, he's fully here and fully formed. Isn't that us? Should be. We're not fully formed yet. We should be declaring the glory of God just like my man John the Baptist in the womb. 
But what happens, right? She's practical and she goes, but it's also spiritual. Look what Elizabeth blesses her with. You want to know what kind of people that God's might makes? A humble people, ones that submit to, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you want for my life, I'll do it. I'll submit to it. If it's from you, doesn't matter what it will cost me socially, doesn't matter what it will cost me positionally, doesn't matter. I am your servant. But it also makes a people that have deep, deep faith, that believe when God speaks. Isn't that what Elizabeth says in verse 45? I said 35. 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And either she believed and then she went and saw her Aunt Elizabeth, or she saw her pregnant Aunt Elizabeth and now believed. Either way, the journey confirmed for her a deep faith and an inconvenient God. Now, I want to just talk to us just for a moment. Some of us are in impossible and inconvenient situations, right? Some of us, um, like we're in a very transient world. Some of us want to stay here in Richmond, Texas, and you're called to leave. Some of us want to leave Richmond, Texas, and you're called to stay. This is an inconvenient, almost somewhat, in your mind, impossible plan. Some of us want to, are, are, like, have more children, um, and, and we're like, you know, some of us have more children, or they're on the way, or we've had more, and we've been done, and yet God, again, inconveniently gives us more. Or some of us have been longing for children our whole lives and have been given none. Where is God in all of this? What is he asking us to do? Some of us have wanted to speak when we have been called to be silent. Some of us have wanted to stay silent when we have been called to speak. Some of us have wanted to give when God's calling us to save. And some of us are called to save when we have wanted to give. You see this all the time in life. This is the Advent, the Christmas, the story of Mary deep into our hearts in every circumstance that God is inconveniently drawing us to himself through impossible circumstances. And when we are in the midst of this kind of whirlwind, of this uncertainty of, of, Lord, I thought we were supposed to do this, but now you're calling us to do this. Or you're, I really wanted to do this, but you didn't make a way for that. Now I've got to go over here. When we're in the midst of that kind of whirlwind. What do we need? We need the assurance which Mary gets from Elizabeth, that we are blessed when we believe in a mighty God who makes his strength known through his word. We go back to the 100% accuracy of God's word. That is a strong assurance. You see, for months, for months, Mary would need to draw upon this blessing. Dare I say for years, Mary would need to draw upon the blessing that Elizabeth gives her in the hill country. That blessed are you, Mary, when you believe God at his word. Why would she need to draw upon that blessing again and again and again and again? Because for 30 years, she held on to the story that her baby boy Jesus was from God. And yes, he never sinned, right? But they're all of a sudden probably thinking, okay, Mary, when's your godson going to actually show up? There's oppression going on. There's, there's murdered babies by Herod during the Christmas story. Where is this mighty God that you serve? And so she has to draw upon the strength again and again and again of a promise that is not yet seen. How about you? Where are you drawing your strength from? 
Are you drawing your strength from peaceful circumstances, from everything just kind of going as you plan? Are you drawing strength from a promise that is not yet seen upon the earth, that God will make all things new? That truly, we are called to draw upon the same blessing that Elizabeth gave Mary, that we would believe God at his word. That we would truly believe that we are fully forgiven by a good and gracious king. He's mighty. So mighty that he forgave us 100%. That's how strong he is. No, we, we must draw strength upon that same promise so that for us too, that we bear the Savior in our being, just like Mary did. We bear the Savior in our being, and we may heed ridicule that, that all the while we have to tell this story of an impossible God doing possible things on the earth. And of course, when we believe this, the strength that God brings us brings us peace, brings us perseverance, and this is the true blessing that God is putting upon us as he's giving it to Mary. So if you and I don't believe in a strong God, we will never believe the word he has spoken to us, that we are forgiven, that we are holy, that we are saints, that we are adopted, that we are thought of before time began, that we are clean, that we are forever indwelled by God himself, by the Holy Spirit. Instead, we will shrink. We will shrink behind the pressure to keep Jesus to ourselves or to make life something that it's not meant to be. Could you imagine Mary and Joseph going, yeah, yeah, that's a cool idea, but let's, let's just, let's create the life that we wanted in the suburbs of Nazareth. Let's create a life that we wanted, maybe just, you know, let's, Galilee's right there, let's go get a lake house. Come on, let's go do these things, this will be fun. No, they have to lay all those dreams down in submission to a mighty and good God to create in them a dream they never thought possible. See, that's the might of God, and that is a people that he makes that is absolutely not going to shrink behind all of that, not to make our faith private, but we will pursue, no, we will not pursue lesser things. Instead, we will pursue truly living for God's glory and not our own. The third thing that we want to look at with our friend Stella coming up, right, is this, what does a kind, uh, this kind of God make for us? God's might makes for us a joyful people. Now, before she reads this, now she's coming up. What do you expect an illiterate 12 to 14-year-old girl say, to say about God in the midst of this circumstance? Now that you got that in your mind, let's read what she actually said. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown me strength with, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Luke 1, 46 through 55. Thank you. Appreciate it. Like, yeah, absolutely. Y'all can clap for the girls that came up here. Come on. Thank you, Greta. Thank you, Reese. Thank you, Stella. Appreciate you guys coming up and being uncomfortable on stage. They were like, on stage? Yeah, huh? 
on stage. Uh, if Mary can do what she did, surely we can do what we do, right? So look at what this, uh, what, what this last part kind of gives for us, right? That God's, make, uh, God's might makes a joyful people, not just a humble people, not just a deeply believing people, but all of that now funnels into a joyful people. Look at what Mary says in verse 49. I don't know about you, but this was the part that really just, we could talk about this passage all day long, but we're not going to. Instead, we're just going to say this. Look at where verse 49 says. For he who is mighty has done great things to me, for me. I don't know about you when God's inconvenience comes upon us, but I have a hard time. My first reaction isn't usually, you've done these things for me. Usually there's an affliction or a bitterness or a victim mentality that says, Lord, what are you doing to me here? But Mary shows us the way. She shows us the way to, a, to joy, truly. That we would see God's sovereign will playing out in our lives, his might playing out in our lives, and we would say, Lord, you are doing these things for us. Not to us, but for us. This is the way to joy, and surely the thing that cuts out every bitter root when we don't get what we want from God. That he is doing everything for us. She rejoices that though God could do things differently, he has chosen her to do this specific work in this specific time, in this place, by bearing the Messiah to the world. When met with the ultimate inconvenience of carrying the Savior to the world, she saw it as a reason to rejoice. You see, friends, we will never bring the Savior to the world if we do not see the mighty hand of God being for us and that now joy and gratitude going hand in hand in all of life. But that's not the end of the story. She doesn't just end with, oh God, I rejoice in these things, that your mighty hand has done these things for me. But he, she goes on in verses 50 through 55 to say, you have shown strength by scattering the proud, by bringing down the mighty from their thrones, and by scattering out or sending out the rich and sending them away empty. See, God, when he shows up in his might and also his mercy, he's also sending out those and scattering out those that have no room for him in their hearts. Are we good with that God as much as we're good with the God who came to save the world? And so we're left with this final question, right? With the same question of, of Mary and Elizabeth. Like, will we, see, will we receive all of who God is or will we cherry pick? We've used this analogy before. Will we go down the line at Chipotle and just pick and choose whatever it is that we want on our Christian burrito? Or will we take the whole line of all that God offers and go, I'll take some vegetables too? Like that's what's before us. Are we just going to cherry pick just the sugar and only have candy for dinner? Or are we going to have healthy, nutritious meals that create in us growth and maturity? So we cannot have, or we must have this question that's before us, because we do have that same uh, choice before us, as Mary and Elizabeth had. Will we cherry pick only the best parts of God, the most convenient, the most comfortable parts of God, only to leave the inconvenient and impossible parts? Will we accept the Lord as Savior, but not also as Lord? Will we accept wonderful counselor? Mm, I need that. Will we accept Prince of Peace? Yes, Lord, I need some peace. 
Will we accept everlasting Father? Oh, yes, love me, Lord, like a father never did. But not accept mighty God? No, we must accept all of him. Like a marriage covenant, especially the parts that don't make sense in the midst of another year. I know that we all are under the illusion that when the calendar ticks, life is just going to get better. Like we were all under the illusion that I kept hearing, ooh, when, when the election's up, it's all going to go away. When 2020 is over, it's just all going to go away. Like somehow, this all just, just goes away magically at the snap uh, of a finger. But no, we're going to walk into another beginning of the year of dealing with inconvenience, of dealing with something that we didn't ask for. Where will we be? What will our faith proclaim to the world? That we believe in a God of hidden promises yet proclaimed and yet to come to fruition? Or are we to believe in our own throne of control, of preference, of pride? Because that's the kind of thing that God came and Mary then also rejoices and says, you've sent those people away empty. And yet for the humble for those that depend on you, that trust you, that accept you, that take you for all that who you are, you bring joy. That's the question before us. That's where we end our, 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 our sermon today and our time today on a sermon on joy. And I hope you can see how the mighty hand of God truly leads to our joy. It's as Mary and Elizabeth shows us. Serving a mighty God does not mean that we get what we want. When we want it. Instead, believing and serving a mighty God means that those it seems impossible. Though, and, and through inconvenience, God might, God's might makes us a people that are humbled by his strength and his wisdom and his counsel. It's through that inconvenience. It's through those impossible situations. It's through the things that we don't truly uh, like haven't asked for. It's in those places that we will be humbled in the certainty and the might of God. And then there, those of us who can believe impossible things about God in the midst of grief, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of despair, for no other reason than because God said so, will have joy. Indeed, it is through the deep faith where our mighty God mercifully gives us the strength to endure. And that, when we look to him, as Mary and Elizabeth did through this entire uh, uh, story, that we will find joy for the journey. Let's pray. We love you. Oh, Father, we love you for your unbelievable, truly unbelievable plan for the world. Who would have thought, who could have dreamed that you would truly do the things that you have done in the ways that you've done them? Through preteens and young women, did you change the world? Surely you are also inviting us into that same journey. Lord, may we be a people who follow you. May we be the people that your might makes humble. May we have deep faith. And Lord, would you please create in us a joy that goes far beyond circumstances. Lord, where we have um, spent way too much time and money trying to make our lives safe, predictable, peaceful, Lord, forgive us. Point us in new trajectories, creating us new hearts, establishing us new rhythms, that we might believe you at your word, that we might submit to you, that we might pray like bold prayers. 
and yet also submit to your will. Create in us a, a people that long after the filling that only you can bring as we get on mission with you, bearing your son Jesus to the world through imperfect people, just like with Mary, just like with Elizabeth, just like John the Baptist, through imperfect people, you have always borne witness to a weary and weepy world. Help us, Lord, have the courage to do the same. We long for you to come and be with us. We long for you to make all things new. We long for you to, um, to, to, to ransom us. And so, Lord, we are going to sing this one last song and long for you to come. We love you. We trust you. Way beyond what we can see, we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.